the word inclusion. I wonder what comes into mind when you hear the word inclusion. It's a bit of a buzzword uh, these days. All sorts of institutions and organisations, groups, even religious groups and churches are desperately working towards being inclusive. In fact, if you're not seen to be inclusive, you could get yourself in a bit of trouble for that. Now, certainly inclusion can be a really good thing, a Christian thing, I'd even go as far as to say. Uh, It's a good thing to perhaps remove barriers to people who are otherwise excluded for reasons they can't control, maybe because of a physical disability or illness or a language barrier, maybe poverty or something like that. The question is, though, isn't it, what kind of inclusion are we talking about? Sometimes with inclusion, there is some exclusion that goes on as well. How exactly do we achieve it? Uh, Because those who perhaps love this idea of inclusion are discovering more and more a hard truth. It's very difficult to engineer. It's very difficult to engineer inclusion. At times, it can even seem impossible. And in fact, maybe under the surface, if we're really super-duper honest, the inconvenient truth is that some communities or groups and even individuals actually aren't that interested in inclusion. People like, you see, to stick to their own. They don't like to integrate with others who are different to them. It's easy to stick with people like you. And that's true, isn't it? We tend to be drawn towards people who are most like us. And it's hard to integrate ourselves with different people. It goes against the grain, perhaps. Inclusion is actually really hard. But what maybe does the gospel teach us? What story is that telling us? Well, it tells us that being in Christ, well, that breaks down barriers between us. Being in Christ means you can be included. This is what we're going to be thinking a bit about today as we look at a fifth spiritual blessing. We've been doing a little series through Ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 to 14, looking at every spiritual blessing we have in Christ. Maybe not every, but uh, every spiritual blessing we have in Christ, at least as we can draw some out from this passage. And these are blessings that we have because we are in Christ. We are joined to him. We are one with Jesus. So this is what we get if we know him, if we're Christians. And today we're going to really focus on verse 11 and 12 of Ephesians chapter 1. This other blessing, the blessing of what I'm calling inclusion. Inclusion. So we're going to start, we've got really two parts to the message. We're going to start by thinking about what kind of inclusion Paul is talking about. Secondly, we'll see what, why this inclusion is a real blessing. Okay, so first of all, what kind of inclusion is a blessing? What kind of inclusion is a blessing? Let's pick it up in verse 11, and, and we'll, we'll need to do a little bit of work here to understand what's going on in the text, okay? So you'll have to follow with me here. Verse 11. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. Now first we need to deal with that word chosen. 
Uh, the Greek word is kleroo, and it means something like chosen or uh, chosen to receive an inheritance. Maybe we could put it that way. There are two ways. Now, this has been understood. One is that we are God's inheritance. He inherits us. That's one way some people have understood this. We are chosen to belong to him. And that's what the NIV choosing of that word choosing is probably suggesting. Um, but the second and probably more widely accepted is in more translations and so on, uh, is that God has chosen us to receive an inheritance from him. So it's not so much that we are God's inheritance, but he gives us his inheritance. So lots of translations, instead of the word chosen, say something like, we have obtained an inheritance. And that seems to be perhaps a better reading of this. First, because it's also been very strongly implied earlier on. In verse 5, for example, it says that we've been adopted. We are made children of God. And that's often linked with this idea of inheritance in the New Testament. As sons and daughters, we are heirs or co-heirs with Christ. That's inheritance language and so on. But there's also, it's there in verse 14, if you look. Here, let me put it up here so you can see. You might not be able to see that so well. But you can see the link between the words in verse 14. Um, talking about the Holy Spirit who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. And it's a very similar kind of group of words there. And that word is there. Inheritance, kleronomia, is the word. So in keeping with the context, Paul is seems to be talking about uh, the inheritance we are given in Christ. So here's the sense of verse 11. In him, in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance. In Christ, because we're sons and daughters with him, joined with him, we share in his inheritance. We're included. So what is this inheritance? Let's just think about that just for a second. What is this inheritance? What are we talking about? Um, I remember uh, many years ago when I was a teenager, my father had been quite ill. He'd been out of work. And it was an anxious time for him and for our family. And sadly, uh, at about that time, one of uh, his uncles, my great uncle, passed away. And he left behind quite a, a fairly substantial estate. And this uncle, he was a bachelor. He didn't have any children of his own. And so my father received some of the inheritance from him. And I'll never forget when my dad found out. And he came in the room and he was tears in his eyes. And he said, Dan, Dan, you're on Egbert. He's given us some inheritance. I can pay off the mortgage, he said. Oh, at a time when we needed it more than anything. Dan out of work, low on money, worrying about the future. It came at just the right time. It, it, it was an inheritance provided through the family that virtually saved our bacon. <laughs> Maybe you've had an experience like that. But that's kind of what this inheritance can be like. It's life-changing. It's life-saving. This is the kind of inheritance we have in Christ. Quite literally, it is salvation. Because Christ died, we received the blessings of a life-saving inheritance. Um, just a quick few references. Matthew 19, verse 21 says, we are those who inherit eternal life. In Matthew 25, verse 34, we inherit the kingdom of God. 
Or in Matthew 5, verse 5, we inherit the whole world. (laughs) So we're talking here, these are words all to do with salvation. At the heart of it all is God himself. We inherit God himself, really. He wants to give us the most precious thing he has to give in all the universe, himself. He wants us to have him. We share in the inheritance. Through Jesus, we get to be included in his reward, eternal life in the Father. So our inclusion is a glorious, glorious thing because we get this glorious inheritance. That's one part of what kind of inclusion we're talking about here this morning. Um, But there's more to understand about our inclusion and something perhaps you might not have initially spotted. It's sort of subtle, but it does have huge implications. Uh, Did you notice there's a, a subtle change in pronouns? All through the passage, Paul has been saying, we or us. He chose us, predestined us. We have redemption and so on. Um, and in those phrases, Paul is he's including the Ephesian Christians that he's writing to in all of that. Now, now, the same thing continues in verse 11. But in verse 12, Paul seems to kind of single out a smaller, more specific group. He says, we who were the first to hope in Christ. He's speaking about the first to hope in Christ Christians here. A different group to the Ephesian Christians. And that's clear again in verse 13, where he shifts back. So I've put it up here. I've just highlighted those words. Okay. He says, verse 13, you also were included. So what this subtle shift of pronouns means is that almost certainly Paul is talking about Jewish Christians, those who were the first to hope in Christ in verse 12, among whom Paul would count himself. The Jews were the first to hope in Christ. They had been given the covenant and the promises and to whom Christ first appeared. So they were the first to believe. Everyone else is the you also. The Gentiles, in other words, non-Jews like the Ephesians, like us. Except if you're Marika, because she told us the other day you're 1% Jewish, okay? Maybe we're all a bit 1% Jewish, that's probably what people say, all right? So maybe some of you have those roots. But otherwise, let's say Jew and Gentile, let's make that distinction. And then in verse 14, Paul kind of brings it all back together, brings everyone together with that word, our. It's another personal prayer, our inheritance. The we, the you, the our This is going to be a major theme in in this letter to the Ephesians. We've already read uh, in chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, which really kind of hones in on it. Jews and Gentiles have been brought together as one new people in Christ. And what, what we're seeing here, just in kind of picking out these details in the verses, we're seeing inclusion. Inclusion, I hope you can see that. Jews and Gentiles who trust and follow Christ, all share together in the same spiritual blessings, the same spiritual inheritance, the same salvation. There's no distinction. When each of us, Jew or Gentile, heard the word of truth, it says, the gospel of our salvation, and believed it in Christ, then we all entered into him. We all received that salvation and that blessing. 
So, so what kind of inclusion are we talking about here? Well, we're talking about inclusion in Christ's death that brings us our inheritance. And we're talking about an inclusion in a new people that God is creating, Jew and Gentile. So, so there's this vertical inclusion going on, right? Our, our inclusion in the Godhead, really. We're joined through Christ in that way. <coughs> but we're also here seeing a horizontal uh, inclusion between Jew and Gentile, the gospel that unites us to Christ also, and no surprise, unites us with each other. If I am in him, that is in Christ, and you are in him as well, then we must be both in him together. In fact, we are joined together as much as we are joined to him. <laughs> Uh, remember verse 10, which we saw last time. Remember, what's that big plan of God? God's plan is to bring all things together under one head, Jesus. A unifying scheme of God. Well, this is, uh, this is a specific and really profound part of that reality. God bringing all things together means uniting people, all people in Christ. Again, a major theme in Ephesians, a major theme in Paul's writings. Paul would see himself as, I am the apostle to the Gentiles, spreading the gospel, not just so much among Jews, but the whole world. This is for everyone, everywhere. The Jewish people, or let's say Israel, um, and th th even that is a kind of a mixed word, right? What we mean by that, we have to define it, but let's just say Israel. There's a lot of kind of mixed feelings about Israel right now, aren't there? Mixed support. There are marches in the street with thousands of people who are essentially against Israel. And then another one where they're for Israel. There's great division, isn't there? And so maybe we get a sense of the kind of division and hostility that existed here in the first century when Paul is writing between Jew and Gentile or non-Jewish people. See, in the first century, it was similar, uh, different, but similar. There was deep enmity between Jew and Gentile, great hatred. And it wasn't merely political or even racial. It was theological. It was a division, essentially, over God himself. Who is God? How do we know him? And for the Jews, you know, they had immense pride in being the chosen people of God. They had been given God's law. They had the way to God. But Paul says in Ephesians 2 that this dividing wall of hostility has been torn down in Christ. Now Christ himself has made a way for Jew and Gentile to both belong through his own death and resurrection. And not by making Gentiles into Jews, but making Jews and Gentiles into something new. So it says in chapter 2, verse 15, out of the two he makes one new man. <clears throat> this was always God's plan for the whole world, not just to save Jews, but to save the world. Look, look at Ephesians 3, verse 6. This mystery 
is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise in Christ. Wow, Jew and Gentile. This would have blown the minds, perhaps, of certainly some Jews and Gentiles at the time. Listen, if God in Christ can do away with that kind of division then it's fair to say he can do with, away with any division. Elsewhere, Paul says this in Galatians 3, verse 28, there is neither Jew or Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. We're all one in Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean kind of distinctions are entirely done away with and they don't matter. You know, we're still male and female, for example. But rather, these distinctions are not primarily what defines us. What defines you and us now is being in Christ. He defines us now. I hope you can see that. So, so what kind of inclusion is a blessing here? Well, it's an inclusion in Christ and his inheritance. It's an inclusion that brings us together into one new people, united in Christ, defined by Christ and nothing else. That's the inclusion we're talking about. A church where all people can be included in Christ. My friend, are you in Christ? Don't you want to be included in this life-saving inheritance? <clears throat> Listen, it's not about trying to be something else. Be something. Be a Jew. Be a Jew. Be a good person. Or being religious. Or trying a bit harder. Inclusion, gospel inclusion, is about becoming one in Christ. It's not even about becoming like other people in the church. It's not about your ethnicity or financial status or how smart you are. Inclusion is about trusting in Jesus who died for your sin, turning away from your sin in repentance to live his life. God accepts you and welcomes you in. Not based on how good you are, but on how good he is. Maybe some of you are Christians here this morning. You still think, you fall, like I do, we fall into that temptation thinking, the only way God will include me is if I behave myself this week. And I've failed him again. And I'm really struggling. I'm doubting. I'm not really included. No, 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 no. The gospel says, in Christ, we're included. Come as you are then, trusting in Christ, and you will obtain this inheritance, a glorious inheritance of salvation among the saints. I hope that's helped us a little bit. Think about maybe what Paul is saying here, even in just these two little verses. But secondly, this is the second thing we're going to think about, is what kind of blessing is inclusion? We thought about what kind of inclusion is a blessing, but what kind of blessing is it then? What is this supposed to be? You know, as I said at the start, it, it's hard, isn't it? It's really hard, inclusion. In fact, it's probably the one thing here 
um, that we probably think least of as a blessing. Being chosen or adopted or forgiven. Yeah, I like those. I can grab those. I can sit there. I like that. Uh, those, I can accept those. They, I feel blessed by those. Inclusion, though, this feels hard. If you think about it, it can be painful. In fact, it's much easier, isn't it, to stick with people who are more like me, with whom I feel really comfortable, who get me. Everyone's looking for their tribe. Everyone's looking for their group. Who can I belong to? Who gets me? It's hard. Inclusion is hard. In a world, um, and it's hard in the church too. Church can sometimes be quite, um, quite kind of samey. Homogenous, made up of people from the same social class or educational background, the same race and so on. Churches can be like that too. And it's complicated, it's not simple here, but it, that's what I'm saying, it's a hard thing. Maybe we find it hard ourselves to reach out to people who are different from us with the good news. Maybe it's really hard to receive ministry from people who are different to us. Maybe from a completely different country. So we can retreat then into our own little cliques, our own maybe little tribes. But is, is that the gospel of Christ we've been seeing? Is that the kind of inclusion God wants? Is that the kind of inclusion that blesses? You, you know, it's not hard to gather people who are the same. It really isn't. I mean, the world does it all the time. There's all kinds of groups. Of, it's just easy to gather people who are the same, who sing the same songs, who use the same language, eat the same food, whatever. Lots of people do that already. There's nothing, uh, there's nothing supernatural about that. So, so how is inclusion, gospel inclusion in the church different? How is it a blessing? Well, maybe if we start to think about this perhaps in theological ways, mainly, instead of mainly pro, uh, practical ways, it will, it will help us understand the practical. If we think about what, what God's doing here, it will help us think about the practical. Okay? So there are three things I want us to look at real quick. Firstly, this, inclusion displays the gospel. Inclusion displays the gospel. <coughs> What's the most important recurring phrase here in Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14? It's in him, in Christ, right? That's over and over again, isn't it? All these blessings come through and in Jesus. Inclusion is no different. The only person who can truly unite the nations to bring us all together, this is what we've been thinking about this morning, who can break down dividing barriers, who can reconcile us all to God, is Jesus Christ. I, I said this last time, um, but who else could unite us and include all peoples together? The politicians can't do it. Not even the United Nations are really united, and they're certainly not universal. There is only one who can unite the nations. And why? Why? Because Jesus is the only one who can die for our sins. Jesus is the only one who can satisfy the holy wrath of God for our evil. Jesus is the only one who rose again from the dead, conquering death by his power. Jesus is the only son of God, ascended to the heavens as a man to intercede for us. Jesus is the only one who can pour out his Holy Spirit on us to tra transform our hearts and give us life. 
Jesus is the only one who can tear down demonic powers and conquer the darkness. Only Jesus. I was out walking with the kids yesterday and enjoying like the fog. It was kind of really spooky and fun and, and we were running around it. And we, um, we ran into a, like, not literally, we bumped to this lady and got chatting to her. She'd been walking her dog and she sort of started to talk to us. And we got talking about Christmas, of course. And so I mentioned that I was a pastor and I said some of the things we were doing. And at that, when she heard that, she sort of leaned in a bit and revealed that she um, was the, is the chair of the Reading Interfaith Group. The Reading of the Reading Interfaith Group. And she seemed really passionate about it, really passionate about bringing different faiths and perspectives all together and, and finding common ground. And, you know, I said to her, I said, how is it possible, do you think, to unite, to bring people together from different religions and perspectives who, who fundamentally disagree? How do you do that? She said, well, well, what we have to do is we have to look for common ground. And we, we're all wanting to work towards making humanity better, making ourselves better. That's what she said. It's about self-improvement. That's what needs to unite us and bring us all together. It was really about doing good, being good, better humans. She said, that's what all religions are really about, she said. <laughs> Um, all religions are true, she said. Says it on their website too. Which is just another way of saying no religion is true. In other words, the truth doesn't matter. What matters is if it makes us all good. That's what matters. Reading Interfaith Group wants a unity, but without Christ. Well, I told her. <laughs> what, do you think, what do you think I told her? What do you think I said to her? I said, uh, I said, do you know what my message tomorrow in church is going to be about? <laughs> I said it's about inclusion and unity. I said, I told her that only Christ can unite the worlds. I said, why? Because he's the only one who can pay for our sin and change our hearts. I, I, it's emotional because my heart breaks for people like that. Who's so close. It seems that misses only Christ. So true inclusion in the church will, will be one that displays the gospel, Jesus. It will point the world to Christ, who is our only hope. If we're going to be inclusive, whatever that might mean, it starts here, proclaiming Jesus. And it's not just the world who get to see this either. Later in Ephesians chapter 3, again, we've looked at this verse, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says, and I love this, that the inclusion of the Gentiles, of you and me, our inclusion right here in Christchurch, Tyler, is, is a smack in the face to dark powers and forces, the, the spiritual forces of evil. You see, the devil loves a divided world. He loves a, a hostile world. He loves to exclude. He loves to get people thinking you can unite the world on something else other than Jesus. But through us, God is shouting something. He says, look at my beautiful church. This is what he's saying to the heavenly powers. Look at and weep. Your time has come. 
You are defeated because God, I am bringing all things together under my son, Jesus Christ. Your deception is over. All the nations will soon be mine instead of yours. That's what we're saying. Is that cool? Is that amazing? Right now, the heavenly powers, evil forces of darkness, see us and cower because what, what the gospel is proclaiming through our gathering. Can you see that? Do you appreciate that? Isn't that awesome? That's what the church is doing. Inclusion proclaims and displays the gospel. Secondly, I'll try and speed up a bit. Inclusion depends on God's sovereignty. The blessing of inclusion reveals to us the amazing sovereign power and plan of God. We've seen this already, haven't we, in this passage? It's in verse 4 and 5 especially. Um, But look again at verse 11. Having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Right, a few quick things to see here. First, our salvation and inclusion is according to the good will of God. He wants it. He desires it. He wants you to be in on it. Your inclusion, (laughs) your inclusion is not against his wishes. He's not being forced to include you. He isn't including you despite his better judgment. He didn't make a mistake including you here today. It's according to his good pleasure and purpose and will. Secondly, it's through his perfect plan. It's through his goodwill. It's through his perfect plan. Before the will began, he'd come up with this plan. It was all worked out, as we saw earlier in this series. Everything exists for the church (coughs) and for Jesus. You you are at the centre of his plans in the world. (laughs) Don't for a moment entertain the thought that he has overlooked us. He's got, he's got bigger things to be doing. No, the church is the plan. Period. This is the plan, right here. Thirdly, he works out his will and his plan according to his sovereign power. He's working out all things in conformity with his will and plan. The good and the bad. In his power, he is making sure every cog that's turning, some going opposite way, he makes sure every cog is turning to bring about the same aim. The good of his people, that the establishing of his church. Whatever evil we may face, we are assured here that it is within the purposes of God to bring about a bigger and greater and better outcome than we can hardly fathom right now. Romans 8, 28, we all know. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Books have been written on this, folks, so I'm only going to say that much. But know this, he's working it all out according to his sovereign power. So as we look at a divided world, we see 
the breakdown in society, things seem to crumble and decay or whatever. We have absolute confidence and steadfast hope that God is working it all together according to his goodwill and by his perfect plan to bring together all things united in Jesus. So at least this, this dear Christian for you is a call for you this morning to trust him with your life today. Whatever it is you're suffering, trust in God's good purposes. Look to his plan. Depend on his sovereign power. He is and he will ultimately bring it all together. He'll sort your life out, if I can draw us back to that idea. Finally, last thing to see. Inclusion directs glory to God. I'm sure you've spotted that already in this, uh, these verses, glory of God is a key ultimate outcome of all of the blessings that we've been looking at. Verses 6, verses 14 say this as well. This is the ultimate purpose of his will to glorify himself. And surely that is what our, your inclusion, our salvation is doing. It's displaying the glory of God's grace. How amazing. How Amazing, how kind, how wonderful that he would pour out his love on you and me and people from every nation and all of history. How glorious that God would not destroy the world and just forget all about it, but choose to save it, redeem it and make it brand new. How how glorious that God would break down those barriers that separated us from him and each other. That he himself would pay the penalty for our sins so we could be free. How glorious that the Son of God, holy and perfect, would willingly let wicked people take his blood and abuse his body so that he might also save the very ones who were killing him. How marvelous that God would break down barriers between us, between you and me. Oh, friends, let our inclusion truly direct glory and praise and thanksgiving and honour to God. That's the true test of our Christianity. That's the true mark of an inclusive church, those who glorify God alone. When we walk in on a Sunday morning, I know we can feel all kinds of things. And we've had a terrible week and we've had an awful morning and we're just not feeling it. But maybe when we come in and we realise I'm included in this glorious plan? Me? Wow. Praise God. Finally, as I close, and I've got just one more page here in my notes, okay? Which is a really long note, so it's only a short page, all right? Just briefly, and this is something I would encourage us to talk about and think more about, because we could go into loads of detail about what does inclusion really look like here at Christchurch. Here's just three things quickly that we can think about inclusion here at Christchurch, okay? It's something, remember, we have to work at it. It's not easy because we, we struggle with it. We're drawn to people like us and all that sort of thing. But if CCT is going to be an inclusive church, we will work at these three things. Firstly, we will work at keeping the focus on Jesus and not our preferences. Christ is the one who needs to unite us. Everything we are about, all our focus should therefore be on him, not on a style or on things we like and don't like, on the colour of the curtains, 
on the position of the chairs, you know. Churches have split over these things. I know you can't believe that, Paul. Churches have split over those things. So our focus at Christ is must be Jesus alone. Not our preferences, what we like and don't like. Secondly, we're going to work at loving all people, not just our people. Work at loving all people, not just our people. The gospel is a great leveller, isn't it? We're all sinners before a holy God in need of his grace. Before you make that kind of beeline to the person you get along with the best, why don't you stop on the way? (laughs) Maybe try and talk to somebody, encourage somebody, and get to know somebody different from you. All right, maybe today you could make a special effort to talk to somebody you've not spoken to for ages. Maybe never. Maybe today. Think, who's that person? Look around the room. I'm going to say hello to that person. I'm so glad we're included together. Something like that. Okay? Thirdly, lastly, we're going to work at proclaiming the gospel everywhere and to everyone. We're going to work at proclaiming the gospel everywhere and to everyone. I heard something from Spurgeon this week. Uh, uh, and it was, I can't remember the quote, I'm paraphrasing, but it was, the idea was this. He says, go and find the worst possible sinner you can think of. The absolute wretch. You go to the, the dirtiest, most squalorly place you can imagine. Find that dirtiest sinner you can imagine. And share Jesus with them. He's for everyone, everywhere. So let's proclaim it. So we want to be a church who support missionaries. Praying for them, giving our money. It means reaching our neighbours. It means being a presence in our community to share the gospel. It means we're a church who loves evangelism to tell people about Jesus. I wonder who you might be able to speak to this week. Who will you include in that way?